my favorite thing was the illustrations, like the, you know, the um, Draymond kicking someone in the balls one. And the, <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> the uh, Michael Jordan one down in the paint getting punched in the face. Yeah, I saw that one. I thought those were really good. And then, like I said, like the data visualizations, I'm curious, like obviously this set of data points ended in 2018, right? Yeah. So I'm curious how much they've changed since then. Um, <clears throat> but I put kind of the most striking ones, you know, down here to just look at like the decline of the mid-range. Uh, and, you know, uh, and then the one that I found the a lot of the stuff that I found the most interesting was also just about how the lines are on the court because of rules that they're associated with, which I had never thought about it that way, even though I know you have to be at certain places on the court and that's how the calls are made. It just never occurred to me that the lines were actually put on the court to enforce those rules. You know what I mean? So I thought that was really interesting. And the other thing that I've often wondered is this shot value one where it's points per shot. So like what, especially free throws, what are they worth in the aggregate, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are they just shitty one point shots? But like, no, I mean, he makes the case that they're actually worth more than a three point shot on average because of the rate at which you make them. They're worth like one point, you know, again, I think this may have changed over the five years since this book came out, um, but probably not free throws that much. Uh, three pointers, maybe, because I bet there's more of them being shot, you know, yeah. um, and people are better at them. And then this, the Steph Curry made shots from 2015 to 16 is like, that's one of the most beautiful data representations I think I've ever seen. Like, I just love that chart so much. Oh, really? The one where you see all the shots going in? <laughs> yeah, and it just has him, like, in the corner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see that. I just... Why, why are they different? Why are they some I of mean, different just... colors? He's got those crazy ones from way, way deep. You know, that's interesting, yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder if I cut that part off. I think it's because of how far out they are, though. Okay. Um. See how like the farthest out ones are like that lavender color, and then the closer in ones are darker. But I don't know why the one is the green one might be um like long two pointers. I'm going to it right now, but um, I'm in I'm in the book on my computer on Kindle, but I oh. I'm on my phone for this. Obviously, I can't be on my computer for the, for this. But I'm on my phone for this, but um. It doesn't say anything. No, it's probably just the way he wanted to color it, I guess. There's no idea. No, there's no, for that, there isn't, no. Um, I don't think. Can't see it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of put them all in one place, and then I thought there was, there was another one that was like the Chris Paul shot chart and the Allen Iverson shot chart as compared to like Steph Curry's shot chart is like insane. Yeah, man, Iris' shot chart is ugly. Right? <laughs> but that's what he was. Like, that's what made him so special is that he was freaking tiny, fast as hell, could get around guys, and um, still make shots with a bunch of people standing right there, you know? So. Yeah, I know he was a baller, but 
guess his shooting percentages were not probably not special. There's right, right, and he I think he was sort of like pre, you know, uh, analytics, if you will. Um, so nobody right. really looked at that stuff. They just saw this kid, you know, has the biggest heart of anyone on the court. Right. Um, so anyways, I mean, we can go down the whole thread, but I think a lot of these are pretty obvious. Like, I, I love the, uh, you know, the part where he talks about would Michael Jordan be Michael Jordan? It's just, there's no way to know, right? I mean, yeah, you want to say, or the same with Allen Iverson. Would Allen Iverson be Allen Iverson? Like, would they have been able to transition to this, like, finesse game of three-point shots? If they had to, um, like Kevin Love or like DeMarcus Cousins, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of amazing that they were able to do that within the time span of their career, um, especially as, like, especially considering, like, especially DeMarcus being a center, how his career started and where it is now, you know, okay, kind of ignoring the injury part. But he's much more of an outside-in player now. Um, so I think that's fascinating. Um, yeah. I mean, um, I guess, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, keep going, because uh, I have something else, but it's not really related to... It's a more of a general thing about how, the whole... Uh, how long it took, you know? Because it was 70... Was it 79? Was it? Yeah. Yeah, and how long it took for people to... I guess after Moneyball came out and after Billy Bean really adopted those guys and the baseball nerds, I guess Darrell Morey was at, at, at the Boston Celtics as an assistant GM or whatever he was, you know, he was, he was some lower level guy at, at, in Boston. He, uh, he decided to accelerate it all, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I think I was thinking about that too. So 1979 and really, I mean, Steph was probably the main innovator of the whole, of the, the, let's say the extremely excellent three point shot, you know? So to me, it's like, um, it was a combination. And so that took what? So 1980, say, so that's 20 years plus 15 years. That took 35 years for the three-point line to become something that was actually used to its fullest advantage, right? And was that the combination of the rule change, the player type, you know, or just the analytics being applied to it? Because, like, when he talks about Harden, I thought that was kind of fascinating because I've always hated watching James Harden play but the way that how he talked about how he was so effective in terms of efficiency because he would foul hunt, that we know that's the most efficient shot in the right. game, the foul shot, a free throw, right? Yeah. And then and then the three point shot and he would foul you know, hunt on the three point line and then in addition, um, having like that, you know, sort of a mid range game. Yeah. So I, I sort of gained a new appreciation for James Harden, I think. Um, I still am not like a big fan of watching him, but same with LeBron, where he when he talks about how 
LeBron isn't a natural three-point shooter, but he adapted his game to become a three-point playmaker, right? And I thought that was fascinating, too, because you don't have to be... If the entire game is basically functioning as a three-point shooting forum, then, yeah, you have to be a three-point facilitator or... A shooter, yeah, right, right, right. right. So, and I hope Fox could be that. I, so. I quote tweeted. I didn't even quote tweet. I uh, I did quote tweet your 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 uh, announcement of this. Hey, man, hey, I'm how's it Lotus Prime? How's it going? How are you doing? Hey, how's it good, going? Good. Good. Hope you're doing well. Um, so I quote tweeted that and said like, you know, I hope Fox can like develop that a little bit more. You know, even get a, get a ton of assists for on threes for Dante and Barnes and Murray and whoever else, whoever else you can get the ball to. Because I mean, if Sabonis can set a good screen and Fox can run at the rim and just get collapsed upon and pass it out to someone then to shoot it, that'd be great. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, I think the thing is, I, it's a little... I think the thing is, is that you're going to have, you're going to run a lot of pick and roll between Fox and Sabonis, right? And then you would hope that off of that action, you have three shooters at the various spots on the court, you know, two in the corner and one on the the extended elbow or whatever you want to call it or the top of the key or wherever depending on where you run your pick and roll action to to play off of that. Yeah. Definitely. I think Dante's pretty good at, at the wing or the, the slot or the extended elbow as you called it. I think Dante's pretty good there. Barnes is good in the corners. Either corner. Yeah. yeah I who think- else is there? I, I hope Murray's good in the corner too. I hope he's good in the corner. Well, I think uh, if he if he shoots the way he did in college, then yeah, then you hope that he would be available in one of those spots. I think that new um, there was a thread that Drew did today on Keon Ellis and his three point shooting. It's specifically about his three point shooting. And that was a really interesting thread to look through, too, just because of the activity that he has on the floor as far as cutting and um, spotting up. It seems seems really good. And then his release point is really high. So I have some hope that he might actually turn into something as well. Um, because, like, for me, that was a big part of our problem last year was, like, this lack of motion just having guys camp out in the corners. I think it's just not that fun to watch, right? I think Mike Brown is going to bring a little bit of that Golden State offense. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah, I hope so. If we have the if we have the players for it, I mean, we don't have Steph, obviously. None of our none of our shooters are like this. Like no one, no one shoots. Well, I mean, nobody Steph, has so Steph except for Golden State. To say. That's a stupid thing to say. <laughs> yeah, it's a stupid thing to say. But um, I mean. Yeah, that offense is a lot easier to run offense. if you have Steph and Clay and Andrew Wiggins and, you know, guys that are willing to move off the ball and all that, but yeah. Pool, pool. I don't know I don't know Pool's game too well, but I, he's pretty new to me, but um, I don't watch Golden State all the time, so I don't know Pool that well, but I know the other guys, and uh, yeah. So, um, I hope we can adapt some of it to us, to our roster. You know, I hope we get a few more, one more shooter, I hope at least, you know. Someone that's supposed to shoot, at least. Hopefully they stay that way when they come to sack. Unlike Holiday and <laughs> Deadman and Bavelli. And <laughs> you always got one of those people that lose, forgets how to shoot when they come to sack. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I always get nervous about chasing shooters because I'm like, 
But then we're going to open the door and they're going to, like, their shot's going to get blown off course. Well, I don't even know what wings, like, of the wings that are available in free agency or in that area, like, what of these guys are shooters? Like, is Bruce Brown, like, really exciting to anybody? Is, you know, Gary Payton 2, Gary Payton 2 would be great as a defender, as a wing defender that would, you know, lock down the other team's you know, number one offensive threat, but I mean, I don't think that he's going to hit spot off threes at a 40% rate. Yeah. I, you know, it's like, I think in some ways to me, looking at career numbers and stuff is mildly deceiving too. And again, like going back to the book, I think Kirk Goldsberry talked about it in a really, um, intuitive way when he was talking about LeBron going from Cleveland to Miami and how his usage rate went down so much, but his efficiency shot up, you know. He also got Chris Bosch and Dwayne Wade at the same time, which helped. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, having good players around you clearly helps. Um, Especially, like, I assists are always so deceiving, right? Because you're relying on someone else to make the shot. So if you're playing on a crummy team, yeah, your assist rate isn't going to look that great, you know. Um, True. I would like to see. Point. I would but like yeah. to see an advanced yeah. metric for like, um, I guess, uh, projected assists or something like that, like assists that should be made or something to that range. I don't know how. You oh yeah, they have, yeah. They have something like that. Let me look that up while we're while you guys are talking. But I think it's like um, potential assists is that what it's called potential assist like when someone shot the ball after you gave them the ball you got you get a potential assist if they make it you get a real assist right but <laughs> if somebody shoots a ball well, be a if somebody shoots a ball that's like a 50 percent chance of making it for like a regular player yeah then you should get like half an assist uh, okay you see what i'm saying yeah. because like half the time they're yeah. gonna make it even if they miss it Right, but then if they make it, you still only get that half an assist, right? Yeah, so I think so. I think I think points. that if you normalize it that way, yeah. You know. Okay, that's an interesting way to look at it. You have to know. You have to know which they do know now on NBA.com. They know or NBA knows where they're standing and where they're where they're where they where the percentages are at that spot on the court. You know, they know that stuff. Of course, if they're guarded heavily, it's a lot harder to make a shot. If they're wide open, it's a lot easier. Right, so your percentages so go up estimate your percentages go up you know exponentially when you're open in the corner because that's a shorter shot and nobody's guarding you right so you might shoot 57 percent on shots from the corner thus if a guy passes to you he gets a 0.57 assist got it understood yeah yeah that was that was interesting i think i will z had a little free agent thread as well that was talking about Bruce Brown's corner shooting, and he's like twenty nine point seven from one corner and fifty nine from the other. Is <laughs> like, wow. but don't, well, it's like, interesting don't it... opponents know that about him? Also, you know what I mean? Like, wouldn't that be on the scouting report? Like, shut this guy down when he's on, you know, his favorite corner. Like, I would think that would. Well, be... that's, that's good though. That's even, even that could be good as well because you know. Then they know when he, he's in his good corner, so you got to stay on him. So if Fox or whoever or, or Mitchell drives to the basket, they can't they can't leave him. They can't leave him to go yeah, to, to go to 
to go to to go to, to go to Mitchell or Fox. So they got to let them go to the basket without help without help. Plus, you can run an overload help, on that so. side with a pin down. Like say Murray runs a pin down on that side to get Brown, you know, open or whatever. Right. Right. So you run like a you run like a double yeah. action where like Fox runs a pick and roll and Murray runs a pin down for Brown in the same corner. Yeah. Why the hell not? I mean, I don't know basketball that well, but I know I know what a pin down is. I know what a pick and roll is. Like, why don't you do both? You got five players. <laughs> Use them all. That's what I say. But I mean, but Walton would do a lot of that spread pick and roll, which is basically like a pick and roll up top on either side of the wing, on either wing, and the three other guys are around the around behind the three point line, around the around the three point line, and they just stand there. That's Walton's version of it, at least. They just stand there and wait for the ball, and like it's Fox and Sabonis, or he wasn't Sabonis, but he was Fox and Holmes, or whoever else was playing center, and they just do that. And it's boring as fuck, and that's what Megaloo was talking about. I think was that kind of. Well, and I think, like, I mean, adding adding DeMontis into the mix and obviously sure. changing out the coach. I mean, but, you know, adds, like, so much motion to the game because you're encouraging good cutting, right? And to me, I mean, okay, again, going back to the book and applying it, I think his premise here was that it's boring to watch exactly what you just said, like a pick and roll to the top of the key. Everyone else is like camped out in their little spot, just mm. waiting to make these threes, you know. Um, again, I think it's a bit of an, like, I think there's been evolution even since this book came out. I think that perimeter defense is better. Drop coverages are better. Um, I think that there's bigger guys who are doing really interesting stuff on it. With, with like their in you know interior defense that's you know like Rudy Gobert and Herb Jones and um, Jared Allen. So I think it has. Yeah, no, that's a great one. Like I think it has naturally evolved. Um, but I I think we all just said the same thing right now is that yeah, it's boring to watch guys stand around, especially just camping the corners, right? Um, and so I agree with him on that. I don't necessarily but I mean, if you look agree at what the Warriors. Was... Sorry, Meg. Go ahead. No, no, go, go for it. Okay, so what I was gonna say is, if you see what the Warriors do, they're constantly relocating. You know, uh, Clay will sit in the corner, and then he'll run off a pick set by Draymond, and then he'll relocate. If he doesn't get the ball in the right spot, he passes it out, and then he relocates. You know, that's what you have to have guys do at. You know. The way to play, you know, championship basketball. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess, I mean, okay. So the final, you know, his final conclusion in here is like, should we change the rules to discourage so much three-point shooting? So like, um, you know, make the corners bigger, whatever. Like, change the lines on the court was one of them. Uh, change the paint back to how it used to be, right? Uh, I can't remember all of them, What's to be honest. You know, I, I kind of like... Yeah, I kind of like the idea of, like, shrinking the paint back down. Like, the paint changed twice um, to adjust to, like, George Mikan's dominance, right? And then the rules within the paint changed well, to kind of... Mikan was 6'10 and everybody else was 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, exactly. 
So it like wasn't fair, right? <laughs> like, yeah, but I mean, at the so same funny? time, neither was neither was the sky hook, and nobody did anything about that for twenty years. So, right, right. What do yeah. you do about that? I mean, no one. No, I was pretty. No one has has tried to learn that. <laughs> I'd like to see a sky hook three. That'd be fun. Probably really hard to make. I feel like Krista had kind of a cool one. Um, oh yeah, yeah, true. Oh, and, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like Skyhook Three was sort of like Dirk Nowitzki, right? Like you had a seven footer, <laughs> you had a seven footer. Oh yeah. He had a twenty twenty inch vertical. He could get a shot up whenever he wanted. Like it was unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah. If Dirk Nowitzki yeah. came out now, he would be MVP like three times. I think so too, and I don't. I don't agree that there's zero mid-range game happening. I think there's interesting mid-range game happening. Um, you know, like like Demar Derozan this year. I mean, okay, it didn't totally translate against good teams or into the playoffs, but also they've been together for one year. So, like, you got to give it more time you know, and let the team gel and not have so many injuries and all that stuff, but I, I'm i not sure. Like, I I don't know if I would actually be a proponent of changing many of these rules. I did go look and see what rules have changed since this book came out, and um, I have it in this thread, which none of them are, they're game play related. Let's see. So shot clock reset, clear path foul, hostile act. Then the next I just think the reset challenge. the reset to 14 seconds instead of 24 actually encourages more um, direct two-point scoring off of the offensive rebound. That's true. That's a good point. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's not enough time to go set it up again. Yeah. Um, well, you know, then, Jerry has an idea. Jerry has an idea. Go ahead, but you're going to finish up your, your ideas. Oh, yeah. Jerry, Jerry Reynolds? Yeah, Jerry Reynolds. Yeah. What's his idea? His idea is as the three-point line curves, just cur- keep curving it, keep going, and basically eliminate the corner threes. Take them all yeah. the way out. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing so that that's corner threes also has in his book, too. I think, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that was one of, like, the... So, he had different like changing the key the shape of the key or changing the shape of the three-point line some of them got a little crazy like each team being able to yeah own three-point line that, like that's <laughs> too much you're doing too much at that point in my opinion that's gimmicky <laughs> that's and nutty screws the records screws the records yeah. feel like. why do we need uniformity yeah yeah uh, so, okay, then the next rule changes were 2021. I think we're mostly COVID-related. So it was 15-player instead of 13-player rosters. Relaxed rest. That doesn't really affect the, you know, game play. In my... And then the play-in tournament was added. And then 21-22, the non-basketball suite, which is like there's an article in here on what it all is. It's more like how they interpret foul hunting. Um, which I think. Oh, right. So, like, like the late kickouts and stuff like that. Yes. Right. Exactly. And I, I think that was sort of directly aimed at, like, Draymond and Harden. And James um, Harden, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think James Harden did struggle with those rules this year. And I think other guards did as well, actually. Um, but it's a lot of that 
in the, if you go through and read this article, a lot of it's just like the ref's interpretation. You know what I mean? So they can still kind of call whatever they want. Um, I don't know. I I think that they, they I I think they really cut down on where a guy would pump fake a guy and then jump into him. Yeah. So I noticed oh, that a lot. I but even that. when we got to the finals, it was a lot more relaxed. Yes, they did. I thought they did a really good job calling the finals playoff series. However, I did watch one of the Boston pressers in the during the Miami series where they specifically said that they would not call any fouls unless God, I can't remember the wording, but it was like basically unless you flop. So they were really encouraging like exaggerated reactions to every foul, right? And it worked like that there was one game where basically Kyle Lowry kept the heat in the game by just flopping. <laughs> that's all he did. And I he mean, that's like, Kyle Lowry anyway. Yeah, he got like 21 points off of fouls, you know? Yeah, so it's still effective, and it's still, they just kind of changed how they're calling it, not, you know, I think you can still you're effectively draw fouls if you're a great flopper. Yeah, and then yeah, I mean, you're always gonna have like a crafty right? guy like like Chris Paul or Kyle Lowry or whatever who's gonna be able to get you on his hip. Yeah, make something happen. Yeah, totally. I I I don't begrudge that. I mean, shit. I mean, literally, I think the game like they won the game by like four points, and and like Lowry had like twenty one, you know, foul conversions. So, I mean, that's crazy. Okay, let me say, because I don't want to forget to say it, because I wanted to address the stuff that he says about the Kings in here. Not because I think he was trying to, like, disparage the Kings, but <laughs> I noticed it. Um, so, yeah, John and I found the one that was, like, the he says at one point the game, the, the first LeBron game was not televised because the Kings were a bad team. The Kings were not a bad team. I looked up, you know, they won 55 games that year. Rick Adelman mm-hmm. was still the coach. We still have the good roster. It's Mike Bibby, um, Doug Christie, Rodney Buford, Vlade, Bobby, Brad, um, Chris Webber. Yeah, that was Cheryl before. Wallace, Taja, like. Yeah. No, that's just We were wrong. good. Yeah. Yeah. So that was annoying. Yeah. And then. <laughs> Um, the DeMarcus thing, so he goes into this big thing. Well, he, he, I thought he did a good job of like, of like coursing DeMarcus's growth as a three point shooter, right? That, that part was really good. But then he just said like, oh, the DeMarcus Pelican, you know, DeMarcus Antonio Davis experiment failed after one year. Like, it was just a failure. And then he didn't say anything else. Like, he didn't mention that DeMarcus got hurt. He didn't mention that that was the best record that DeMarcus had ever had in his playing career. He didn't mention any of that stuff, you know. So I just had pulled up, again, in this thread, like, what the record was when DeMarcus was playing, the fact that he missed the last 34 games of the season. Yeah, they were not great against the Warriors, but they didn't have nearly as much time to gel as the Warriors team did either. So I still was really interested in that experiment. I would have loved to see that go on for another couple years just to see, you know, where it could have gone. 
Um, well, what's Demarcus Torres? What Torres? Achilles. ACL was it that year? Oh, I think it was his ACL. I think you're right. Yeah. So once that was over, they weren't going to extend him the maximum. So. Right. So, but right. yeah, I'm like I'm picky, and I'm a Demarcus like loyalist. So I was like, God damn it, you got to at least say like, you know, due to injury, the experiment was terminated. Not that it failed, like. They still won 48 games that year. That's how many games the Warriors won in the year that they were considered to be good the first time. So I don't think it's fair to say that it failed, um, but it did end. Yes. And then, um, you know, the last couple things I had put down here is just like, because he also had that whole section where he talks about how Sprawl ball is small ball, basically. You know, like, you need way more athletic players to be running way more often, uh, you know, to be... And these big, you know, honking bigs don't fit in the game anymore. So, but the first thing that came to mind for me was, like, the fact that... Um, and I, I, you can obviously say Giannis is, like, extremely athletic. But Jokic and Embiid were the two front-running MVPs. And I still would consider them sort of like big honking bigs. They just happen to be great passers. But they're dominant. And good outside shooters. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so I just, you know, the, I guess what my thought was just to like say there is a place in the game for these players. They can still excel in this game. They're just doing a different thing than they used to do, you know? Um, I do think and there's then, a little bit, like, when you look at a guy, like, okay, so if we look at, like, prototypical centers of the 90s, let's say, right, like, Hakeem or Patrick Ewing or whatever, right, that's more of, like, a Rudy Gobert type. Yeah. And it's so hard to say what skills they could have, if asked to, you know, mm-hmm. accumulated or or changed right I mean Hakeem is a great example because Hakeem was such a tremendous passer like I feel like he could have you know transcended the style that he was he was playing even though that the Houston runs were actually pretty fun and pretty fast and um there just wasn't as much outside shooting you know that was more of like the spot three-point shooting of, like... Well, there just wasn't as much outside shooting, period, in that period. Yeah, yeah. And there wasn't as many shooters, right? Um, I mean, outside of the guys like, uh... Like Steve Smith or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting, too. Like, he says, like, it affects the... the economy of basketball, right? It's like... Because, obviously, the highest-paid skill is also the star. So now there's so much more, um, you know, attention, value put on this extreme, uh, efficient three-point shot, right? And, like, everybody's got to have it. All three and Ds have to be above 40% or they are not good enough or, you know, what have you. And there's only so much salary under the cap to go around. So the best three-point shooters are, 
you know, hogging up more of the salary, et cetera. Um, I think we all know that again, but it was, I still thought it was interesting the way that he talked about it. It's a good point though, that um, you brought up earlier that it was no, Jokic and B were like the co or, or one, two or whatever, two, one MVPs you know, this past season. Big well, I mean, I guess. And the other guy that we can put in there is Giannis, right? Yeah. Giannis. Yeah. Shoot three, Who is basically Shaq. If Shaq was more athletic and could shoot. Oh. That's a great comparison. I, young Shaq, let's say. Um, yeah. I, so, I think, yeah, I, you know, I think there's been evolution. I'm curious to see if they come up with more kind of rule changes to encourage more mid-range, more movement, um, and less foul hunting. But, well, they, they, how would they do that? Because, like, well, let's go back to Harden for a second because, you know, I don't really particularly, when he was on the Rockets and they were doing the full Maury ball, I didn't particularly like to watch him, per se, but I respected the intelligence of what they were doing because, as they say in the book, you know, a three-point shooting foul is 2.55 points per shot, per shot attempt. Yeah. Know, which yeah. is ridiculously awesome. And, like, Harden just through working the system, got a ton of those shots compared to other people. Well, Way yeah, more it, than other people. It, yeah. it just puts basketball as a, as a math problem at that point, right? Yeah. I guess, I, I respect, and I respect it, and I would, I would, in his prime, when he was on Houston, if he had a GM like Maury on the Kings, I'd like him on the Kings, for sure. He would win gol- he would win ball games on offense. He's not a good defender, but you could, you could try to make up for that with other players, but yeah, I mean, I just want to win. Like I've, I've shared in the other spaces we do. I, like, I don't care about how we look. We could be the 80s Pistons. And if we won, <laughs> yes, bring it on. 80s Pistons, there we go. <laughs> the unwatchable Cavs. <laughs> yes. Whatever, man. Whatever wins. So uh, that's what I think about Harden. But I, I brought that up for some reason because that was related to what you were talking about. Cause, uh, I forget what it was, though, now. I always get sidetracked. I well, I mean, uh, to go back to what we were talking about with the big men, too, the fact that um, Jokic and Embiid, you know, were the MVPs of the regular season. I mean, let's, you know, let's put that on the end of it. And I mean, I guess, you know, you could make arguments that they didn't have enough help or it doesn't translate well in the playoffs or whatever you want to do. Well, I mean, I think Jokic, Jokic probably just ran out of steam and didn't have. Yeah else to be there so yeah but yeah that's i mean this season i might want to watch out for them for sure yeah i mean yeah. and they do need shooting around them clearly you know so uh but the other thing let me see if i can find it there's a really interesting reddit thread in this uh this thread that talks about that somebody went in and broke down all of the three-point shots that Steph Curry made in the finals and basically said even if he would have made twos instead of threes, he still would have been the leading scorer in the finals. And somebody else underneath it went through and figured out which games they would have won and lost and by how much, and it would have been all the same wins, which I thought was completely fascinating. Um. Well, it's interesting because when it's, it turns out that when you have a good player, they get 
good shots. Yeah. Regardless. And they score regardless. Yeah. So, so when I you know, asked Drew to come up with like what, you know, his best big defenders, because I felt like there was a, a crux in the playoffs too. When that in the Warriors Grizzlies series, when uh, Steve Kerr was out sick, and they the Warriors had those few like weird letdown games where they couldn't quite figure out, you know, they couldn't get their three point to to go, and they ended up starting Looney, um, and that was what helped them kind of get over the hill. Well, so they also played. Up. They also ran pick and roll with Steph about four hundred and. 50 times per game. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's also another great point. I guess, like, I I was trying to look at, like, the bigger picture of, like, how important were big men in the playoffs this year? Like, I felt like Rob Williams was such a difference maker for Boston because of his interior and perimeter defensive ability. Um, his ability to block. And then a lot of like the Boston games came down to like, you know, minimal possession differential. It wasn't even like they could be shooting like shit, but they happened to get 10 more possessions just out of blocks and steals and were able to convert on them, you know? So I thought that was fascinating because as somebody who looks at shooting percentage, every Kings game, you can, you can usually tell which games the Kings were going to win or lose this year. Because if their shooting percentage sucked shit, there was just no chance, right? Because they had nothing else. They were they were not they had no plan B. Like they were not going getting inside. They just they just didn't know what to do at that point. Well, because they and didn't have anybody that would like force that. a shot to get to the basket. They didn't have yeah the bonus except for the last thirty games. And he's the only guy really on the team that can get a foul whenever he wants. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, why don't we go to this, uh, in your thread, I think, I'm sure you put it in here. It's, um, the shot chart and like how much, yeah, that one that's purple and green. It's near the top. Um, so like the greens are basically the three point line, which is good. And then the right around the basket, you know, those are the green spots. And like, I had this thought and it's basically, it's related to a presentation I did for my investing club on Bitcoin, actually. And um, I thought I'd bring it up. It's basically about standard deviation, how you can raise your average or keep it the same, the return, while keeping your standard deviation. This is a math problem, obviously. Keep your standard deviation, like uh, lower it or keep it the same. And that's basically like, you know, you get more, you get return, you get three points worth of one shot, right? And like, but if you just live and die by the three, live and die by the buddy, you know, live by the buddy, die by the buddy, live and die by the three, you're going to have, you're going to blow people out and you're going to get blown out. You're gonna unless you have like Steph and Clay and Clay in his prime and blah blah blah, a couple of great shooters who are really consistent. You're gonna get blown. You're gonna blow out and get blown out. So like basically like to leaven it with um, some you know attacking at the rim, like making baskets force a bonus to whoever or Damian Jones or whoever else is at the rim, and then like um, trying to get to the foul line, trying to like do whatever we can do to get fouled. You know, and in modern NBA, whatever the rules are this next season, just try to get fouled because that's a great shot, so to speak. Yeah, and I, you know, one thing that he had in here too that I've always like tried to like make way harder than it actually is is it's like it, it basically comes down to like if you're shooting, you know, 
30% from three or whatever, every three is worth one point, right? I mean, so it's a it's pretty basic math to figure out if you're shooting 80% around the basket. I'm only saying 80% because that's what Chet shoots around the basket. That's not what most people do. But, I, yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, if you can't make your threes, at least start going inside. I know it's hard to catch up that way, but you have other options. You can try and get fouled. You can, you know, so you can kick out. I, I think yeah. a big part of it for us this year, to me, was not starting Fox with the ball in his hands every game. He's just more effective that way. He can find his seams and drive easier that way, even if it's a secondary speed burst. Um, I just think he needs to be our primary playmaker, and I don't think we should ever deviate from that. That's my theory, anyway. Um, and okay. hopefully we'll see if it works. Yeah, the primary playmaker, because we got Sabonis is kind of like, I don't know, he's different type of playmaker, different type of playmaker, not secondary per se, just different type of running plays. You know, he'd be, he'd be the DHO guy as far as like, yeah, <laughs> he gets the ball and he has with one hand, he's moving it around with, with his head with one hand and like that, he does that. He's just well, like, he's who's, who wants it? Who wants it? Yeah, I would say he'd be like the primary target, right? He should be the first option every okay, single yeah. time. Like, um, because he's also a fantastic playmaker. Oops, sorry, I muted everyone. Um, he's also a fantastic playmaker, but he doesn't need to be bringing the ball up and down the court. And yeah. if Kieran has the ball, he can see whether the defense has gotten set up yet or whether they've been able to set up whatever pick and roll situation they're going to set up for him and whether he can navigate it, right? Because he's actually pretty good at navigating simple, um, when he's aggressive, right? Right. The thing I'm excited for to see is uh, just how, I mean, Sabonis is going to open up so much for us inside, too, like, for, like, inside-outside game because of yeah. how well he does inside and how defenses have to, like, you know, guard him. Like, they can't, like, a lot of our bigs people haven't really been, like, that terrified of to, like, guard but he's kind of someone you sometimes may have to double if he's having a good game so he's going to open up a lot on the outside for our shooters now we just have to find shooters to be able to hit outside shots so that's going to be the hard part and that's what Monty's going to have to figure out in free agency but I think that's what you know we haven't had a big like that in so freaking long that can actually you know draw that um draw that you know inside and be able to, you know, kind of leave guys wide open kind of thing. So I think I'm looking forward to that the most to see yeah. how his game's going to... Like, that was like, I also think, as much as we think that scoring has to be outside, like we were just saying, it's also extremely efficient to shoot very close to the hoop, right? Oh, of course. Um, and those little, like, drop-off passes at the hoop and stuff like that that, that Demonis does are fantastic. Like, I love the little give and go game with him and um Damon Jones in there. Mm-hmm. I think we saw it with him and Chimezi. We didn't really see it much with Rashawn, but like we just did not see them play together very much. But right. I feel like if we end up keeping Rashawn, that could be something that they refine, you know. Um so, I think yeah. too, like I'm excited. I think if they do keep Rashawn at least until the trade deadline. Like I feel like I'm maybe 
talking to her, at least to knock on wood, but um, like, I feel like he's going to have a really good bounce back here. Cause like, he's a competitor. He, you know what I mean? Like he works hard and I've seen videos of him like going in the gym and like, he looks in really good shape. And like, I just think last year was just a freak, you know, year for him, like with all the stuff he was dealing with, with the eye, you know, injuries. And then, you know, his, uh, I think his cousin passed away. I was really close to him. And then obviously, you know, the whole custody thing with his child and his ex-wife and, you know, that stuff. So that's going to, unfortunately, you know, take a lot away from someone trying to, you know, play basketball. But um, so I don't blame him for last year, like at all. Like he had some, you know, stuff going on. And so I think this year, like it's going to be if they do keep him, like I think he's actually going to like have a good bounce back year. And like I'm excited to see that push shot back again, because, I mean, let's be real, like the year before, you know, he got his contract, like that push shot was money pretty much every time he would shoot it. So Yeah. Like, I think with the bonus there, too, I think that could be something that they could, like, work with, like, a little push shot, you know, kind of game, yeah. so. Well, yeah, I'd be good for some spot. Depending on who is our backup point guard, which, like, again, I know, like, nobody thinks it's that important, our backup, but I could definitely see Davion and Rashawn finding a similar chemistry to what, like, Tyrese and Rashawn had at the beginning of the season, where it's, like, you just see them both out there and you're like, oh, my best friend. Like, you know, like, you know, something's going to happen. Tyrese is going to, you know, make a really beautiful pass and Rashawn's going to get that little hook up. So I feel like Davion and Rashawn could have something like that in a backup type situation as well. So, for yeah. Rashawn, I want to talk about Rashawn for a second. When, I, when, when if, they, if he gets the ball, like he's gotten many times when he, before Sabonis came and he's at the top of the, three-point line you know top of the circle for the three-point line mm-hmm. and the, uh, the center is like in the paint just hanging out just like totally abandoning him at the top of the line letting him pass because they know he's not going to shoot you know if he's like that this next season i mean if he wants to play with sabonis he wants to play more than 14 minutes a game and i'm sure he does if the team wants him to play more than 14 minutes a game he's to play to with sabonis he's got to shoot sometimes yeah outside and he and can. Like, I mean, he can shoot. He's yeah, he Like, he can shoot. A long time ago, he did. Yeah, in Philadelphia. He shot decently from three a long time ago in Philadelphia because, you know, Hinky wanted him to shoot, I'm sure. So they made mm-hmm. him shoot. So, but like, you know, uh, when he's wide the hell open like that, you know, just pick up the ball, pause for half a second, and launch, you know, and see what happens. Do it once or twice yeah. a day. See what happens. Yeah. You know? He's wide the hell open. He, I, this might sound idiotic, but like, I was reading through some thread somewhere and somebody was like how come there's like people who are great passers who are bad shot makers why don't they just pass the basketball to the basket like wouldn't that be easier (laughs) right thing with Rashawn like maybe this sounds idiotic but why doesn't he just make a longer push shot (laughs) you know like he's so great at that shot like just do it farther away (laughs) well he does it from the free throw line now so just he's already getting pretty, pretty far with it so yeah. There, real quick, uh, the Rockets and John Wall reached a buyout. He's going to sign with the Clippers. Oh, yeah. that's, that's interesting. Cool. I love him. I hope he can rejuvenate his career. I think that's a good fit for him too with Kawhi and Paul George. Well, I think maybe they'd and, be able to do I mean, something. What is he? Is he signing for a mid level or? And it doesn't say what they're. It just uh, says that. Um, they're reporting that they reached a buyout and Wall plans to sign with the Clippers, but they haven't announced like a contract or anything. 
I don't know if the Clippers have much over, money. They're way over. They're way over the cap. Way yeah. over. Yeah, they the have tax. so they're many guys. They were trying to shop like Luke Kennard, and I know Nico. See, that's Nico the thing is, I wouldn't even up. mind like getting Luke Kennard because I feel like on like shooting he would help our team, but I just would be scared because I feel like he would come to us and he'd completely brick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like freaking. Just like freaking uh, Marco Bellinelli, you know, he was like yeah. freaking daggering from three the season before, and then all of a sudden he came to us and he was just hitting bricks. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, of course. Well, but it's just, the, it's like the players that are surrounded. That's the thing, like, we get these guys that can, like, hit these outside shots, but we just don't have, like, that other talent, like, in other places to, like, level their game up. But now I feel like we kind of have, like, you know, we have Fox, we have Sabonis, um... We have, you know, now we have uh, our draft pick. We have Harrison, but like we have guys who can create now that I feel like more than we had before. So I feel like guys like that might actually kind of succeed a little bit better in Sacramento now that we actually have some decent talent around us. But before it was like you had like Ben McElmore and shit like that. And it was like, okay. Aaron Aflalo. I was trying to remember who the, the guy after you. Oh my God. It was Aaron Aflalo. <laughs> well, look at what's his name. Freaking. Oh, shit. Dwayne Demon. No. Wow. Uh, why can't I think of his name? Uh, he went to the Knicks and Alex he was like, Burr? "Yes, he's like balling with the Knicks." I'm like, <laughs> "What the fuck?" Like he was so uh. trash with us, and then he goes to the Knicks and he's like dropping thirty points a game. I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like what is happening? So okay, the, there was one other thing that I forgot to talk about, and like I don't, I, I've never really thought about it so much, but the pop time chapter in this book where he talks about how long it takes you to go from catching to releasing the ball. Mm-hmm. And I found that really fascinating. And the fact that like Evan Fournier was on the list way ever many years ago, who knows if his pop time is still that good. But I found that like to be a really convincing argument on that. It's like a stat, a stat that I'm hoping they're also looking at, like not just, not just percentage, but pop time. Because if defense, is the next thing to catch up to the three-point line, mm-hmm. then you want those really high pop time guys, right? So that's oh, for like, sure. I, I mean, they use Kyle Korver as an example, um, and clearly he was just a totally fantastic three-point shooter. And I don't know how you even calculate pop time, but uh, I thought it was an interesting concept that I hadn't really taken into consideration when I was watching guys before. Um, and then he, you know, he talks about Steph's pop time and stuff like that too. But it's just that much less time that a defender has to get to you. Like you're saying with Rashawn, like, I think his pop time is pretty slow. So he's got to be pretty wide open so he can, you know, get it up and launch it. Yeah, like unless um, he's doing the push shot, yeah, his, his release is, is pretty slow. Yeah. Right. But if he's, but if he's like, you all know what I'm talking about. He's in, he's in, the, he's in the, 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 what they call the delay set, and um, he's yeah. at the top of the three point line, going to pass it to somebody. That's what he's yeah. going to do. Yeah. Everyone knows what he's going to do. So the center is like back in the key, just hanging out, trying to disrupt, you know, cutters. Yeah. He used to shoot it. <laughs> well, I feel like, the, and like the saying is like, pass up a good shot for a great shot. But I feel like okay. we did that. And then we, we passed up like the great shot for like a terrible shot a lot of the time. Yeah. And part of that was like having buddies on the team. Yeah. You know? That's <laughs> why I so like to move Rashawn though. I, like, I mean, I, I don't like, I don't dislike him at all. And I, I like him as a player too, but it's fun. Unless he can play with Sabonis, he's got, 
I don't want to, I don't want Monty to take his damn time, the sweet time to like come up with a deal, like find a deal, get him somewhere good, yeah. and get us yeah. something back good, you know? I mean, he ta- he, he made deals. He's done deals. Obviously, he got Sabonis. Yeah. He got a, he got a Dante, but like took him forever. God. I'm curious. I'm curious because I saw someone posted like a potential starting lineup for next season. I, um, I saw so it was De'Aaron Fox, um, Dante DiVincenzo, Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray, and Damontis Sabonis. Do you guys think that'd be a decent starting lineup to roll out with? I do. Yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to upgrade Harrison, but I'm not sure if we can. Like I, you know, to me, like none of the, the free agents or he's are, a good like, shooter. A serious upgrade. Yeah, he he's a great shooter. He just doesn't shoot. That's the the thing with Harrison Barnes too is I feel like with the players that we've had around him and the system, we've been asking him to do too much, and I think yeah, now he probably doesn't have to do as much. So I also like get stuck on is he a three or a four? I don't totally buy Keegan as a three. Yeah. So maybe that worked together, you know? Um, I think this is Barnes as a three. Okay. I'm not sure. People, so people I respect think of him as a four. I think because defensively he's a four. Like he's not going to guard a smaller. No, yeah. Defensively he'd have to, yeah. But he's more like a small ball defensive four. Lots of, lots of small ball fours in the league now. So like he could guard those guys and. Yeah. I mean, Keon technically is probably a three. Um, but I don't want to get too high on our own supply. No, he's six six, isn't he? No, they they, they measured the that's why he fell so much. At the combine he was six three and a half. Oh wow. Who? He's that's bigger it. than that. That's he looks bigger. He looks bigger. Keon, Keon Ellis. Oh, oh. Yeah, he was up he was in the second round solidly, I think, and then they, he got uh, got measured and they, they dropped him a lot. So well he was really thin too. I, I mean, Yeah. Uh, well he's less than for six oh. three. <laughs> Right? Yeah, but, uh, that's weird. I mean, the I thing think about Barnes t- also is is Barnes is a good free throw attempt rate. He's a he's fifty percent. Uh, what does that mean exactly? A number of free throws attempts per field goal attempt, fifty percent. Uh, Wait, good. what? Number of free throw attempts. Number of free throw attempts per field goal attempt. So, like uh, one field goal attempt, he gets he attempt, two field goal attempts, he gets one free throw attempt from that. No, he's oh, really yeah. good about getting to the line. Yeah, he's good at getting the line. He's he, in the spot in spraw ball terms, he's good. <laughs> he's yeah. very aggressive. He just, just needs to be more aggressive. That's all. That's, that's the main thing. So that's well. That's how he starts the season out, and then he kind of like digresses. I mean, he started off last season. He was averaging like twenty points a game, and then he just fell off again because I think he had that foot injury. If I remember correctly, okay. he had like some kind of foot thing going on. He's yeah. just not. He's just not good on defense. He's just. He's just slow, I think. I, oh, I don't know. The I, numbers, like, I want to give numbers. him the benefit of the doubt. I, I really do. Like you said, Liz, like, I think a lot of it's like asking him to do too much. Yeah. And he was probably trying to cover like a lot of the time. I think that's why having Mo in the lineup last year was so effective because, again, my theory is that Harrison was better on defense because he didn't have to cover both wing positions. Mm-hmm. When when Mo was in the game, yeah. I just am curious to see uh, like how because I feel like Mike Brown too is going to definitely bring 
like a different, you know, just a different feel for everything. So I'm kind of excited because I do, like he's more experienced and you know what I mean? Like Luke Walton was just god awful. <laughs> like he should have never been hired, unfortunately. Yeah. So it just with the experience that Mike Brown has and, you know, the years that he's worked with and you know what I mean? Like just his system. I mean, the way he was guarding like his defensive schemes in the finals was just like insane. Like having those guys just buy into his defense during the finals, it was literally insane. Because like if you think about it, what game six they started out, it was like Boston went up I think like fourteen four or some shit, and then they never looked back. Like the Warriors yeah. just freaking went on, you know, and just their defense locked in for some strange reason. But you see Steph out there playing great defense. I was just like, what the hell? I'm like, this is insane. So hey, I just Aaron, I don't know. Up? I think I think I'm excited for uh, Mike Brown, the Mike Brown era. Hey guys, you guys are. You're a little muffled, but muffled. Yeah. Okay. So last thing on the book, very last thing is just that in this thinking basketball episode, the very beginning of it, they talk about the death of small ball. Which I thought it was just an interesting little, I don't know, it's like five minutes or something where they just talk about how perimeter defense is catching up with small ball. And partially because, I mean, this is a draft episode, so they go into talking about like Chet and Wenbanyama and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I, I thought it was an interesting listen. And that podcast is really good normally too. Um, just, you, like as, him? you know, yeah, I, and I've had to skip a couple. I'm weird about podcasts. I feel like I'm really weird. I've gotten really weird about, hmm. like, criticism. Like, I, some of it I am okay with, and some of it, like, I feel like the kings just get slammed for being the kings. Like, but it's not totally based on anything. And so sometimes I have to bail out <laughs> podcasts. Okay. I mean, they they spend a lot of time talking about winning basketball, so the Kings aren't on you know aren't a subject a lot of the time. Try <laughs> 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 to say it nicely. <laughs> oh, gosh, if we could just get back to our winning winning ways, <laughs> would be nice. That's uh that podcast is pretty good. He's very uh intellectual, you know. He's a smart individual, very intelligent, and kind of plays that to the hilt. Uses his brain. China. He could he could be doing particle physics or something like that, but he's doing MBA instead. <laughs> he's that kind of guy. Although he's not really a science guy so much as, as, as much as Goldberry is in this book, but he's more like a I don't know philosopher. But, uh, I well, like... I'm so curious, like if Kirk Goldberry has evolved his thought processes on any of this stuff, given you know five years. I mean. And I guess, like, I, and maybe I'm taking just the sit that simple premise that watching three point shooting only is boring away from it and trying to think, like, he said at one point, like, nobody wants to, you know, nobody wants to sit around and watch, um, Boogie shoot five threes in a game. I'm like, I do. Like, that sounds yeah. fucking awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of disagree with him. I don't really like, um, 
I wasn't a big fan of Shaq. Not as far as like a LA Lakers player or whatever. I mean, like as far as his game goes, you know, and Shaq, Hakeem was fun, obviously, not obviously, but he was fun for me. That game more, Shaq was more like, he was, he had skills, no doubt, a lot of skills, but he was also kind of like strongest man, you know, in any region for the, for a 500 miles. So like he was going to get to the bat and tallest, he was going to get to the basket, you know, and he dunk it down. So that was not fun to watch, the you know, post play for me. And uh, mid-range play is like is interesting. I guess like Jordan, you know, dribbling and whoever else it's plays like that, you know. And the mid-range that's fun, but I like threes, and I don't like a bunch of people in the paint or around the paint, you know, clogging it up. I don't defenders, you know. I don't. I like the the spacing of the of the new game. I, I don't know. It's not a big deal for me. I guess each their own though. I guess I really like the idea that basketball is an evolving product, right? Is that from era to era, we're watching something different. And I like how he really emphasized that, you know, rules can and should be changed to directly affect the play on the court and to address things that maybe have gotten out of hand. And I actually think some of his solutions to too many threes were like I said like mine would probably be to make the key uh, smaller again make the paint smaller maybe not the smallest it was but maybe the second smallest um, I think that would be an interesting adjustment or like extend that three point line like so it's all the way out of an arc so people have to struggle to shoot those those corner shots you know I thought those were really interesting innovations um, that that could be fun to like try out in the G League or I feel like uh, what is it? Uh, what's the big oh the big three? Like the big three, they do weird stuff. Like they have a four point shot or they play on just like just half a court or like you know maybe even like taking some stuff from there. And trying to incorporate it into the game if you feel like it's not exciting enough. However, like let me just say, I think it's pretty exciting. I, I, I think the three-point shot has significantly increased the excitement and made it better. Well, I just don't think uh, going back to like three-pointers. I mean, I just don't think that you can put that demon back in the bottle. Guys are going to shoot from further and further out where they aren't guarded. I mean, and when you're talking about athletes at this level with this amount of practice, they're going to hit, you know, 40% of them. Yeah. So do you think, like, based on what you just said right there, like, do you think it would be legitimate to make the three-point shot harder or to count on the gameplay catching up like defensively to the three-point shot being where it is. Well, I think if you want to stop people from being able to shoot, you need to reinstitute hand checking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you if you allow guys to hand check each other or anything like they did back in the 80s and 90s, the early 90s, then yeah, you'll see a immediate reduction in in three-point efficiency. Yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, I like that one as well. I, I will say that um, as defenses have been evolving, 
you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, who tried to give up just mid-range jumpers and floaters, or they were trying to take away the corners or using them for meetups. Um, so as the defense evolves, Booker will just look a little changed. You'll have these guys who shoot 45% from corners. Once you close out hard enough, you can take a little baseline floater, they're shooting 40% on those as well. So it all depends on how defense is going to change on the remember the Spurs took away Harden's step back and they gave him only floaters and mid ranges and they completely took him out of the playoff game. Even though he's one yeah, of the top yeah. That's an excellent point right there too. And I think that's like the Herb Jones frenzy, right? That's like why everybody wanted to find Herb Jones. I know some people translated that as finding like second round value, but I specifically feel like there there was other people who were like this is the future of defense, is these really agile, uh, face-covering bigs who can get out to the perimeter, right, and really close out, um, especially on guys with, again, bad pop times, right? Or just, like, guys that can switch everything at every position. Yeah. Right? So if you have a bunch of guys who are, ooh, what was that? Is that me? <laughs> oh, sorry, it's my. Oh, okay. My so if you have a if you have a lot of guys who are, you know, six six to six ten, and they're all reasonably able to defend their position against everybody else who's six six to six ten, then, you know, you 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 can shut down a little bit of that that getting people open thing. Yeah, for sure. I don't remember, and I, I I added, like, in my little thread here, too, I added perimeter defense, um, and, um, but I also don't remember, and switch, switching is, is, like, totally prevalent now, right? I feel like that's been, a, like, a last three years innovation, and then drop coverages, too, and maybe I just don't know enough about drop coverages to know if they were getting played before, but I feel like that's again, like more of an innovation to um, combat some of this perimeter activity. You know what I mean? I Obviously, it's not directly, it doesn't directly um, affect it, but it affects the playmaker, you know? So, and it's like so useful for a team. Again, that goes back to like the Herb Jones, Rob Williams, you know, these guys who can easily switch one through four, one through five, you know, two through five, whatever it is. Um, so I feel like I feel like it's evolving to catch up personally. Well, I think you're always going to have a reaction to any sort of, you know, evolution. So that's just the natural state of the game. Is is defense is always going to be playing catch up against whatever offense is available. If if 18-footers become, you know, prevalent because everybody's taking away, you know, 24-footers, then suddenly you're going to see a lot more zone or you're going to see a lot more, you know, of whatever that would change that. So, yeah. And I mean, for what it's worth, we're talking about, even he's talking about absolute, like, top guys in the league. He's talking about there's still only one step, right? I mean. There's still only one James Harden. Like, I don't think we really saw James Harden this year, but 
I mean, obviously, I think um, Maury's trying to recreate that efficiency basketball in Philadelphia, and it looks like he's going to try and get, like, P.J. Tucker back, and maybe I think Eric Gordon could be had, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, I think that'll be interesting to see, too. But, like, just, you know, there's one step. So that's what makes all of this, like, work like it does. There's one LeBron, you know? Well, and And time is undefeated. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, So, yeah, I think other guys can come along and and catch up to them, you know, and be them or what have you. But right now, anyways, I don't, I don't see anyone. I know people are like celebrating Jordan Poole. Like Jordan Poole's good. He's great, but he's not stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's different. There's only just so many generational players, right? So like, let's take this draft, right? There's no Gen- we don't think there's not a generational player in this draft where we look at it and we go, oh yeah, that's LeBron. Like Steph at Davidson, the issue with that was that people thought that he was too small, and that, yeah, and that when he got to the next level, bigger guards were just going to be able to swarm on him. But the problem is, is that you can't swarm on a guy from thirty-five feet. I think that, like, the story about him refining his shot was, made me gain a lot of respect for him. I mean, I obviously know he's one of the greatest players in the game right now, but it's sort of, like, begrudging for me because I'm a Kings fan and, you know, it's annoying. And and we could have drafted but, him at number four and... <laughs> and. <laughs> but at the same time, I, that story about him committing so much effort into making his shot better when it was already really good was, you know, I definitely have a little bit more respect for him uh, for doing that. And I, I also, like, I think he was lucky to get coaches who who recognized, you know, what a fantastically useful skill that was um, and encouraged him and supported him and you know, uh, freed up uh, playing time for him by trading Monte. Well, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, freed up playing time is the main thing because if you go back and look at those those early Mark Jackson step years where Steph's taking like 5.33s a game or something like that, it's not good. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I don't know how much, I know that like Draymond gets a ton of credit for being like the difference maker as far as getting them over the hump into championship territory, you know, where they finally found their like smaller, agile defender who could, you know, help more and, uh, you know, and get stuff more space. Uh, but I also think having Steve Kerr as your coach, whose primary skill was, again, tremendous shooting, um, you know, helped. Yeah, I think so. And that goes back to like a, um, goes back a little bit to a sort of a Lou Olson type of thing, like going all the way back to Arizona, right? So you had, Steve went to Arizona. You look at another guy who went to Arizona under loot was uh, Gilbert Arenas. 
um, you know, these guys that, that played in that system where they were encouraged to shoot at that level. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I hadn't really made that connection, but yeah, now that you say it, that makes sense. Damn, Keegan Murray's already disowned. He doesn't dip his pizza in ranch. <laughs> what? How could he? <laughs> How could he do that to us? You were the chosen one. The real question is, does he like pineapple on pizza? Did you see where he said he never had sushi before? Yeah, do you think he has by now? I mean, he's been in California for like four days. Where'd he grow up? He was in Iowa for school. Where'd he grow up? Hopefully Uh, someone takes him to sushi. I think he's from Iowa or Nebraska. He's from like a farm or like a farming Cedar Springs, Iowa, I think is what they kept saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because he was a three-star recruit going out. So, yeah, he wasn't like Duke or whatever, North Carolina. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Give him some good Cedar Rapids. Does anyone know um, how we're going to get the uh, classic games televised? Because they play this weekend. I have them set up to play on playback, but it was oh, a little cool. confusing figuring out, like, they, okay, so they have a schedule, and then the schedule says, like, subject to change, but they're all on NBA TV and ESPN and ESPN2, I think. Okay. And cool. I have them set up on playback, so it should, like, if you're a member of the room, it should notify you if they start playing, um, in there as well. Some people don't have NBA TV on their plans. Hopefully it's on ESPN2, I think, is more common, but NBA TV is like the bigger plan for me. Is Bobby more expensive? Is, is Bobby Jackson coaching again? Jordy, Jordy Fernandez. Fernandez. Oh, he is, okay. Yeah, Jordy's going to be the coach this year. Yeah. And then I, I was confused. Like, they kind of were like, oh, yeah, and Lindsay's going to be there. But I don't think they were supposed to say that yet. But I think we find out like who, which coaches are coming back and which are leaving when their contracts are up, which is the 30th. Yeah, That's the end of the year is the 30th, so. Yeah. So. Hey, what do y'all think about doing a space on June 29th that evening? I mean, free agency starts at 3 p.m. on the 30th, we think. <laughs> Still think. But uh, that's probably what's going to happen. So uh, I thought it was 3 p.m. on the Friday, the 1st. Is okay, that, uh, yeah. I was in a Spotify live with Mark Stein, okay. and he said it's June 30th at 6 p.m. Eastern okay. time. That's what he said, but he said yeah. for some reason it hasn't been like published. Yeah. But he here. thinks the reason it hasn't been published is because it's written into it's written into like the free agency guidelines or something. So, so for some reason they didn't think there was like a need to republish it or something like that. Anyways, that's what he said. So I, he's usually right about stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, so we could do like a noon one, but like I'm working and I'm not, I'm at home, <laughs> but I'm working, so I don't know if I want to do a noon one or whatever. Probably more like a, a 29th in the evening would be better. I feel like for me, if you guys want to do one at all. I yeah, I can't. It. I can't do one during the day because I'm at work. Yeah, I actually right. have to go into the office. I think yeah. Ben was really hoping to like come too, and he's in New Zealand, I think, or Australia. Yeah. 
Maybe Australia. like six or seven is better. Okay, great. Yeah, that'd be a good time. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, just to talk about our talk about who we think we want and who's available and blah blah blah. Any trades, whatever, you know. Nothing's gonna happen, you guys. I'm just telling you. Nothing's gonna happen. <laughs> I know, I'm not getting my hopes up. I think the Kings are have a possibility to use some of their contracts to, to make some things interesting. Yeah. I'm I'm just trying to set expectations low. Like I don't wanna like do the same thing we did with the draft where it's like we, you know, fall in love with all the wrong people and then get broken up with. Right. It's just a mess out there. <laughs> oh, I fully expect it to be like Josh Akogi and like Bruce Brown and that's it. Hey, I, w- I actually kind of dig that. I, I wouldn't mind. I'm not offended Brown. by that. I would mind. Yeah. Brown. Yeah. I just, I don't ever get, like, I'm just trying to ever get excited again. It's like, okay, like, I'm excited to watch basketball again, even if he sucks, because I'll still watch, but I'm just, like, not going to get my hopes up anymore, because we just, once we do, like, we always get let down, so. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready to get hurt again. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Fuck it. Fuck it, man. What's the point of being a fan if you don't have unreasonable hope and completely unreachable expectations? Well, I mean, I think that the expectation is is that, you know, the Fox and Sabonis that you saw at the end of last season continue to be the Fox and Sabonis that you saw, and you added a sharpshooting for in Keegan Murray, and Everybody else takes, and you have a full year of Terrence Davis, and you re-sign Dante DiVincenzo for a full year, and you know maybe that gets you to thirty-nine to forty-two wins. Yeah. No, I love everything you just said, honestly. And Davion stays Davion. I don't even care if he's like way better. Like he was, to me, he was fantastic. I know people started freaking out about his offensive, you know, the minutes he was playing and how great he was offensively, but, like, I had so much fucking fun watching him on defense. Right. Um, no, I didn't I'm even care about his offense, that. really. And I think he's going to get better. But, um, yeah, I'm just worried that everyone else is also going to be way better um, in the West. You know, that's the hard, the hard... But even if we just beat everyone else besides the people in our conference, maybe that's enough. See, the thing is, though, is, like, I don't, because a lot of people just don't have the cap space this year. I mean, so many teams are just, like, over, or they're, like, they're not going to be able to do as many moves. So, I just, I think it's going to kind of be the same. But, I mean, we'll just kind of have to see, unfortunately, what happens. Yeah, I mean, the the idea, supposedly, that all the media has been throwing out, because it's a weak free agent class, and everyone's just up against the cap. The only way for teams to improve is trade. So yeah. Hopefully that means there's a lot of movement there. I mean, if we get to like July 3rd or whatever and there's no trades yet, I'm going to be extremely Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, there's so not I many mean, teams willing to sell in the offseason, right? I mean, they're trying to like pull on the full season tank. There's not many of those teams. So. Well, I think a lot, a lot of people do want to set up for next season because the free agent class next season is going to be really good. So. Okay, I that's think a good point. Some teams are going to start tanking early for the Wenbinyama thing, too. But that's probably like four teams, Matt, you know, that are, that know they're tanking already, uh, kind of thing. 
Um, I, I'm going to shut the space down in a few minutes here, but Eric, I wanted to like let you just make any comments you wanted to about the, about straw ball and like how it's affected your thinking about basketball or what your favorite things were about it or, you know, whether you think the arguments that he presents have sort of, um, changed in the time since it was published or, uh, so I read Small Ball and then Mid-Range Theory back-to-back. Um, I know I've talked about to you on about uh, reading Mid-Range Theory as well. Um, I feel like Small Ball itself, since the three-point shot has become so evident, like uh, he did predict kind of that change, but some of the ideas, for example, I think he discussed like Kevin Love's going to be an excellent player for many years to come. And, you know, he's like a backup bench player on the Cavs. <laughs> Right. You know, we're on the play in. So the, the the arguments themselves are very interesting and if I had read it at the time it would have been mind blowing. But they've been talking about this. Like I also follow Seth Parton on, on Twitter and then other news like Young Money and stuff like that. So most yeah, yeah. super foreign to me at when I read it this last year after Christmas. But I mean, excellent book and same with Mid Range Theory, so Cool, yeah. I'm excited to dig into that one as well. All right, well, I think I, I need to go help my kiddo and um, might shut this sucker down, but um, thanks for the discussion all. And I think John and I were thinking we might read, um, what's it called? Reynolds. <coughs> Reynolds Remembers is the old Reynolds version of the Remembers? book. Or uh, yeah. Tales from the Sacramento King's Locker Room. Stupid title renamed by a publisher that bought the rights or whatever. Idiots. Anyway, good book, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But how long do you think that we need to that we should uh leave to read it in? Like a month or two weeks or I have well, I wanna participate. I wanna participate and I'm out of town the next two weekends, which is like my prime reading time really. So um I'd I'd appreciate like three weeks at least. But um let's as far as like the book size Okay. Yeah, let's right. read like a book a month. A basketball cool. book a month. And then we can read other stuff and whatever we wanna do. I'll also be after summer league and free agency, so you know you don't have these weeks of free agency and stuff like that going. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. See you guys. Go Kings. Go Kings. Talk to you later. Good night, guys. Good night, guys. Hey, I just wanted to thank everybody for listening to these. I hope that um, they're as fun for you to listen to as they are for me to read and think about the books. Uh, if you are enjoying them, please tell other people about them. Like, subscribe, all that stuff. And you're welcome to join the groups uh, when I have the spaces scheduled. My handle is Megaloo2U on Twitter, and you can always message me with any um, thoughts or ideas or criticisms, and have, have a great one. Thanks.